Howdy and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show where we do the thing where we talk about the stuff we've th- seen since the last time we did one of these, and we adjust the levels, and then we feel good about it, and we soldier, we hasten forward quickly there. Um, <laughs> my name is David. I'm Tyler, though I'm reluctant to even identify myself after that little train wreck <laughs> of an intro, but that's all right. Well, we did a sound check before, mm-hmm. and I... As soon as I started, and I, I was a little loud on the sound check, if okay. you recall. And I turned, I thought I turned myself down. Turns out I had turned you down. Oh, boy. So, and, and as soon as I started talking and I saw my, like, the, the red light for, for, for my voice light up, I was like, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. And so I threw myself off by quickly adjusting the levels. Perhaps it was uh, a mid- subconscious thing. And you're just like, now's my time to shine. That's probably what it was. It was that's probably, that's yeah. what I think it is. So uh, let's just get started yeah we got places to be yeah uh what have you what have you seen you start i saw guillermo del toro's crimson peak okay saw it with friend of the show jason eakin and uh david first off what did jason think of it no i don't care i'm joking we both enjoyed it okay um, if you must know uh so here's the deal and I think I tweeted this shortly thereafter, but I have three tri- three Twitter accounts now, and I don't even know what goes where. Yeah. I forgot to talk to you off mic about your other Twitter accounts. Oh, no. What did I do? No, you didn't do anything wrong. Oh, okay. It's just, I, I just wanted to ask you how you tell people what the handle is. Oh, I say worth playing for, no O and worth. Okay. Because, you know, okay. Let me say this. Okay. This is what I was going to say off mic. And look, you can change these if you, they, they're very easy to change right. your Twitter name. Wouldn't, if you're going to get rid of one letter, wouldn't worth playing for be Ooh, easier to one. get people? <laughs> that's much better. Okay. But I don't like that. You know, we're not from, I'm not from Kentucky or anything, you know? Okay. I'm just it's say, worth playing for. I meant to say that to you off air. No, that's a good, that's a, that's a good call. It doesn't occur to me to do that sort of thing, but uh, that's not bad. Um, and it's easier to say worth playing for. I, that's yeah. okay. That's a good call. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah. Uh, so Crimson Peak uh, did very well its first day financially, and then dropped off precipitously. Oh yeah, it was because because word got out that it is not the film that it is marketed as. It was marketed as The Conjuring. It's a Hammer film. Okay. Now. For people like you and me, that's great. Yeah. For anybody else, this weird little suspense story that has ghosts in it uh, is not what they were looking for. And I think that is a bummer because it is the most, it's the most beautiful movie I've seen all year. Okay. It is absolutely, David, in catch-all terms... For our fantasy Oscar draft. Okay, let's not get too insidery here. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> that was very old of me. I'm sorry. That was ah. very Burgess Meredith of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, but the art direction is gorgeous. The costumes, David, you would love the costumes. Yeah. But the, the cinematography and the, the use of color it is just, I was so happy I saw in the theater. Listeners, uh, go and see it. It's, it's a movie that deserves to be seen. The script is fine. The story is fine. The acting is very, very good. The music is really great. It's just a, a really wonderful theatrical experience. And I was very happy to have had it. It's not that scary. 
but it's there's more just a sense of creeping dread which is a thing i like quite a bit so uh well i will i will use this as an opportunity to spread my gospel that people should not pay attention to advertising oh sure that's not how you should decide to see a movie in fact you know what here's the thing i actually didn't i don't think i ever saw a full trailer of crimson peak i remember a lot of people saying like oh this looks so terrifying and stuff so maybe i i went in with not a great i didn't have a lot of expectations i thought it was going to be like creepy and scary and i and i thought there might be like some jump scares in there but i wasn't expecting it so i don't know maybe i was just inherently more forgiving because i felt like there was nothing to forgive I've seen nothing but the occasional still photo that shows up in an article. I haven't watched. Okay. I have, I've avoided everything for it. I hope I get to, I hope I, 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 I want to make a chance to see it. It's definitely on my list. I think um, you would. I, Universal uh, you is dig not. It, you dig it the most, as they okay. would say. Um, Universal is not pushing this uh, as part of their awards slate. They should. They got, uh, they got Trainwreck in there. They're pushing Trainwreck. <laughs> For but, art direction, oddly enough. <laughs> but weirdly, yeah, it's not, uh, yeah, Crimson Peak is not one of the ones there. I don't understand. Like, onto. I mean, you know, almost every time Tim Burton has a film out, that whatever studio puts it out, they know to push it for art direction, costume, and right. makeup. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I forget who did Crimson Peak. Um, is that, uh, shoot, who did do Crimson Peak now that I think about it? Who did the co- the costumes? No, no, no. The the what studio was I that? Universal. That's Universal. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, yeah, that's I think right. It's, is it Legendary Universal? Oh, it might be. Um, I'm trying to think of like the the blood soaked logos I saw beforehand. <laughs> um, and uh, but yeah, they they are silly if they don't push for that yeah. for those those three specifically. Art direction. Uh, costumes. costumes, makeup specifically because it's makeup and hair and the hair is great in that, but also they could push for score and cinematography. Like it is a really, really good looking film. All right, moving on. I saw also a really good looking film. Unfortunately, not nearly as good uh, a movie I had been looking forward to. I missed it when it first came out. I finally got a chance to catch up with Thomas Vinterberg's far from the matting crowd. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'd wanted to see it because I like, uh, I like, pretty period pieces a yep. lot. Yep. <laughs> um, I like, you know, I like that old timeliness is, I like the costumes. I loved Carrie Fukunaga's Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. I loved Andrea Arnold's Wuthering Heights. Loved that one. That's an amazing, have you seen that? I have not. You would love it. It's great. I did love Jane Eyre though. Um, this one, it had all the look that I was looking for. And it certainly has Carrie Mulligan as its star, which uh, increasingly I've seen two Carrie Mulligan movies this week. And increasingly, she is one of my favorite working actresses. Uh, I, I feel like she has a uh, I feel like you can tell a great screen actor by how commanding their presence is when they're not talking. Sure. You know what I mean? That, oh, that's something that I, I think is probably very difficult to teach. Uh, it's 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 all about being very present. And yeah. there's just something about like. You know, you're watching if everybody on screen is present in a way. And I say this in the best possible way. Your eyes don't know where to go because you're watching people inhabit these characters. Right. And you saw an education, right? Yeah. yeah. I love that movie. And I think she's amazing in it. Yeah. And uh, she's as good as she can be in Far From the Madding Crowd. But it's just it's more a construction and story uh, problem where the movie really just feels like a series of things that happen and some of them follow from what Mm. happened before and some of them don't. And it's sort of like a, it's, it's melodrama, 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 drama, but 
the story, but it's not, it, it'd be more of a fun movie. Maybe if it unfolded like melodrama, if it, if, if it had that, that sort of, uh, grandeur to it, but it's trying to be a little bit more reserved and merchant ivory ish. Right. Right. But the storyline is like, and then this thing happens, you know? Uh, and, and I just felt I could never, I can never really connect, uh, connect to it. Plus basically like it has a problem of Matthias, uh, Shainertz, who is an actor that I also really like, um, is one of three suitors for, mm-hmm. uh, Bathsheba Everdeen, who is, um, uh, Carrie Mulgan's character. And he's clearly meant to be the one we're supposed to pull for, ah. but I, he's so, <laughs> he's so arrogant and like presumptuous yeah. that it's like, don't, it's like, if you're going to marry one of these three people, don't make it him, make, make it, it, make it Billy Campbell with his big knife. Um, I don't know what that, that's meant. a reference to one of the many suitors in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, okay. Um, either like the guy she has actual sexual chemistry with who, t- who, uh, spoilers for, uh, the movie, um, and the book that has existed for a long time. Uh, the guy she actually does marry, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't turn out well. And then the other suitor is played by Michael Sheen. Oh, who's, okay. Uh, who's great in the movie actually. Um, and he has, it's not a funny movie, but he has a line that I laughed out loud. I saw it. I saw a screening of it. Um, uh, you know, it's award season. So that's why I get to right. sometimes see screenings of like, I get to go to the theater to see go or go to a screening room to see a movie that has, that has come out months ago. Yeah. But if I get a chance to see something in a the theater, I would like to. Sure. Sure. Uh, and I saw this in a theater and I was the only person who laughed, but there's a part where Michael Sheen's Is character it meant to be funny. I think I, okay. it can't not be the way he says it. Okay. Um, Michael Sheen's character is throwing a Christmas Eve party for everyone in the town. Okay. Um, it's at his enormous mansion. He's a very wealthy character and it's the first time he's ever thrown a party. So he's nervous because of that, but he's also nervous because the real reason he's throwing the party is, is that it's an excuse to get Carrie Mulgan's character over there Mm -hmm. so he can uh, propose marriage to her. And so he's walking around while his servants are setting up the party, very nervous and also trying to talk to Matthias Matthias Shainer to the same time. And he sees the people decorating the tree and he says something along the lines of, uh, he's like, good, good. Just, uh, more, uh, more things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That seems like a, funny it's very line. funny. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I think people didn't laugh because they didn't, they just weren't primed for anything funny at that point in the movie. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't have much more to say about it. Just that, um, I'm disappointed because I wanted it to be better. It's the second Thomas Venterberg film and I've seen in a row now that has disappointed me. The last one was the hunt, but I know I'm kind of in the minority on that. A lot of people mm, love that yeah. movie. I mean, people I, have called I still it, haven't seen it. Uh, and people have called it among the best movies of the last few years. Uh, hmm. it's, it's the people who champion the hunt really champion it. Um, didn't work for me like that, but I'd say the hunt is a better movie than far from that in crowd, okay. but I don't really like either. What's next for you? Uh, well, it occurred to me, I actually remembered these in the wrong order. So before Crimson Peak, I saw... See, I you don't have to do these in order. I know, but I like the, I like to... Well, if, then why don't you write them down the way I do? Because who's got the time? It literally... Uh, or the when energy. you have a phone, you have the time for everything. Because when you have a, a smartphone... And my phone's over here. But it's just like in the middle of, you know, while I'm waiting 
if I'm on a phone call and someone's boring for two seconds at work, I mean, oh, okay. and I'm on my like <laughs> okay. my phone line, yeah, then I can just like pick up my phone and make a note for myself. I do it while I'm walking. I do it all, all the time, constantly. I guess I'm on my phone a lot, but I don't know. It's uh, I and I I'm I organize my life more than I used to, but uh, I guess part of me figured like it's only four movies. <laughs> Surely, but if you're so going to be a problem saying them in order, just put yeah. them in order. And sometimes I do, but you know what? Uh, right. I'm feeling loosey goosey today. All right. What's next? I saw, I forget the name of the director. Goosebumps. Uh, that was uh, what I have come to refer to as a movie pass movie. Okay. Uh, uh, I know the director's name and I know I can't remember it. Yeah, I can't. He did Gulliver's Travels also with Jack Black. Okay. That would explain certain things in the film. Uh, I can't remember his name. Yeah, I can't either. That's, uh, that's off putting. So, uh, yeah, it's, there's very little to say about it. Like it's, it's fine. Did you read goosebumps books uh, when you were growing up? No, I, um, thought I was above, above them. Oh yeah. I could see that. Um, I think cause I was at the time, like people in my grade were reading goosebumps, but I was reading like adult like grown up like Stephen King and Dan right. Coons not that that was necessarily the best stuff but to my young oh, sure. mind at the time really? I, I felt very superior for reading that stuff the only R.O. sign I ever read was Superstition the adult novel how was it uh, he really relished the chance to go adult there's like oh, a okay. blow job on page one like he does <laughs> not he does not hold back so here's yeah, it, it, you know, if you grew up reading the books, it's kind of fun. Uh, they go about it from an interesting way, uh, in an interesting way, in that, uh, what? The director's name is Rob Letterman. Rob Letterman, that's right, okay. Um, you know, rather than try to adapt any one book, they do this larger story where all of his books and all of his characters come to life, and Jack Black plays rl stein and i feel like that's an interesting way to go about it that it's kind of meta it's kind of self-aware so i like the idea of that but more than anything it's just kind of a conventional family friendly quote-unquote scary type movie um i felt like if i had if i had a little kid um they would enjoy it um there's one moment that i there's a couple moments that i laughed at and it and it always has to do with R.L. Stein commenting on himself and his career. And there's no reason that he needs to be played by Jack Black. I'm sure, I'd, uh, I, frank, I frankly think a, another actor could probably do a better job, but he does all right. What about Michael Ian Black? Yes. Okay. No question about it. In fact, you know what? I can't think of anybody else now. <laughs> um, but, uh, so like there's, so he's, he's hiding the fact that he's R.L. Stein, and so uh, this one kid decides he's going to try and... Uh, coax him out of uh his lie and he's like he goes ah it's probably a good thing rl stein's kind of a hack he's just a wannabe stephen king and they're driving and uh as he says this and uh jack black he slams on the brakes and he whirls around he's like let me tell you something about steve king <laughs> and him saying steve <laughs> king was very funny to me yeah I um that's very funny you just recounting it yeah it's just a, I, i'm not even i can't even put my finger exactly on why there's just like by calling him steve like that's like an insult in and of itself yeah. uh that and then there's this other moment when uh, when you know they're being chased by these monsters and they they have a moment where they're hiding and one kid says like <laughs> one one kid says uh 
Like, why couldn't you write stories about these, these, the, you know, like nice things and stuff. It's like, because nice things don't sell, nice things don't sell 400 million copies. And then one kid goes domestic goes no worldwide, but it's still very impressive. <laughs> and so like moments like that made me chuckle, but uh, for the most part, it's, it's fine. It's, you know, yeah. nothing, nothing special, but I, I feel like, I do feel like it's, it was meant for people younger than me. And I think they would probably enjoy it. Um, I read today that Earl Stein, apparently on Halloween, when trick or treaters come to his house, he gives, in addition to candy, he gives out goosebumps books. That's awesome. And a little, <laughs> That's, I'm like, I'm, I wanted to say it without inflection. And let, to, me, re- let me react. <laughs> yeah. I was like, my first reaction was that's really cool, yeah. but it's also like, it's a little, <laughs> I guess when you like, if you write, like if you work in children's fiction or whatever that might, or in film or whatever, and you have a product that you think they'll probably enjoy. Fine. That's fine. But whatever. Okay. That's also a little bit. And there's a little moment where, uh, there wa- he's, wa- this, this part is a little shitty, but kind of amusing where he's walking along in a school and he just got a, it's towards the end. He just got a job as the, as the English teacher at this high school. And so he's walking along and, a guy walks behind him and he's out of focus and he's like, Mr. Stein. Uh, and uh, the guy behind him says, Mr. Stein. He goes, Mr. Black. And, uh, they, and the kid's like, who's that? It's like, Oh, that's, he's like, Oh, that's Mr. Black. He's the new drama teacher. <laughs> and it's just like, now I'm not a hundred percent sure, but if I had to guess, I would say that R.L. Stein played Mr. Black. Yeah. Uh, just a hunch. But, uh, but yeah, see, they should have made him the new music teacher as a school of rock reference. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It could go either way. Like I, I think of Jack Black as a song and dance man, right? More so than anything else. But you but know. because he, I mean, maybe I mean to non like comedy or movie geeks. Yeah, School of Rock is probably still Jack Black's defining role, right? High fidelity, probably. No. To non movie geeks, yeah. To non movie geeks, it's tough because it's, he stars I, in School of Rock. <laughs> Like I don't like we think everyone's seen high fidelity. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, I don't know how those idiots think, uh, non movie people. All right. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's high fidelity. Listeners weigh in. No, our listeners are all like us. Yeah. But they maybe they'll look down their nose in the world with their head up their asses, which is difficult to do. Uh, just like we do. Uh, let's go do some yoga. Another movie I saw another older movie from earlier in the year that I got to see in the theater. Um, uh, in a, a screening room because I love this time of year. <laughs> um, but this is a uh, frustration because this is a movie that I barely had a chance to see in the theater because it came and went. Okay. It, it, it was in theaters for as long as it takes to have a cup of coffee. That's, uh, it seems like that's how long it was in theaters. It's weird that they would cut it short after 20 um, minutes. And it is uh, directed by Isabel Quachet, mm-hmm. I think. And it's called Learning to Drive. It stars Patricia Clarkson and Ben Kingsley. Oh, yes, that's right. It is wonderful. It is a wonderful little modest, really? charming movie. Um, that I mean, these two, the, these are two powerhouse actors. Yeah. And most of the movie is them together alone in a car um, at, 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 at different times. Uh, Patricia, Patricia Clarkson is the lead. She, um, her husband of 21 years has left her. She has grown up in New York, never had a car, never needed a car. Yeah. Uh, her husband could drive. So that's, uh, when they needed, when she needed to be driven somewhere, that's how that happened. Right. Her college age daughter played by one of the gummers, I think grace. Okay. I don't know. Um, is now living in Vermont. And so she decides I'm gonna have to learn how to drive. 
Um, so she starts taking driving lessons um, and Ben Kingsley plays a, an Indian Sikh who has been uh, is an American citizen has been living in America since 2000 uh, because he was uh, so he was seeking political asylum because mm-hmm. the Sikhs in India were persecuted. I don't know enough about that backstory. Right. Um, and he teaches he drives a cab at night and during the day he teaches uh, teaches driving. OK. And so that's essentially the movie is her learning to drive. It's interesting. Uh, Everything about the film was something that like made me, it just knowing what it was about, it just kind of made me cringe. Like it just seemed like it was going to be like this kind of quaint, sappy, right. Sa- simplistic yeah. yes. kind of thing. No, I, I, I totally understand that, but this is, um, yeah, there's not a lot of high drama or even really high stakes. Yeah. Um, I guess to the character, uh, sure. to the deep, to both those characters, the stakes are high, but it does, it does have a pleasantness to it, but it's a great script and two actors, two fantastic actors, yeah. uh, bouncing off each other and working at the top of their games. Um, yeah, it's, it's delightful. Um, and I, <laughs> Uh, I, I was already, I wanted to see it because the director, Isabel Quachet made a film, uh, 12 years ago, uh, starring Sarah Polly, Sarah, uh, Scott Speedman, Debbie, Debbie Harry, Mark Ruffalo. I feel like I'm, Oh, Maria de Medeiros. It's called my life without me that I also think I, it was one of my favorite movies of that year, okay. but it also was a movie that never got any press. Um, is it, was that the film that you really liked, but a lot of people got angry about it? It's some, I, I think Roger Ebert hated it. Okay. Um, the story of my life without me is that Sarah Polly, uh, finds out she has, um, terminal, uh, cancer and probably has about two months to live and decides to a, not tell anyone and yeah. B make a checklist of things to do, uh, before she dies. One of which includes having an affair, uh, with Mark Ruffalo. Um, I mean her, her checklist just says have an affair. Yeah. Um, Mark Ruffalo is, it just ends up being the lucky guy. Uh, and I, yeah, I think that some people were, um, turned off by her narcissistic and selfish behavior in the movie. Uh, I love that the movie embraces that about her. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we're not here to talk about my life without Indeed. me. Um, if you want to read more about my life without me, maybe wait until Monday and check the website. What? Um, uh, anyway, uh, learning to drive is, uh, delightful. I would definitely recommend checking it out. And I do want to <laughs> another like Michael Sheen in far from that, from that in crowd. There's one hilarious moment. There's a lot of comedy actually in, in learning to drive, but there's one hilarious thing. Ben Kingsley is picking up another Indian woman from the airport. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he's late. So he's had to bring, uh, Wendy, Patricia Clarkson character with him. Uh, and he's harried. It's raining. They got an accident on the way. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, <laughs> they uh they get in the car and they're driving away and she and he's like uh he's like i'm sorry and then he's like jesseline to the woman he's picked up the one from india he's like jesseline jesseline look this is america while he's driving but they're still in the underground parking garage <laughs> <laughs> uh very funny but there's a lot of funny stuff in learning to drive i, I'm sure. I, I really uh, want people to check it out all right what's next thing, i do think both patricia clarkson and ben kingsley are, are tremendously gifted comedic actors but aren't asked to do that very often yeah but um okay yeah we can move on so i saw a film called woodlawn directed by the irwin brothers as uh as it is credited i think it's andrew and john i don't remember exactly but anyway uh so it's a christian film 
I had heard. So there's been a lot of uh, David, I, you know, I, I, I like to give people a window, uh, into the world of Christian film. Um, and because war room made so much money, I believe it. I mean, it, I think it made more than God's not dead or any of these other movies that do well. Um, that's weird. Cause I feel like it's been talked about less than God's not dead or heaven is free always. Well, and honestly, I think because God's not dead has a more, uh, incendiary title uh-huh. and, and the concept is a bit more like, uh, standoffish one could say, whereas war room, which is by the way, my least favorite movie of the year. But, uh, but yeah, that one is a little bit more self-contained and is not trying to, it's not trying to like solve the world's problems or anything like that. It's more just like, Hey, if you're in a relationship and it's not going well, here's some things you can do. Like it's, it's actually a thing that I have admired about what, uh, Alex Kendrick does is keeps things small. doesn't try to conquer the world. Um, but, uh, so war room made a lot of money and then a lot of people on some bigger Christian websites finally started talking about like, okay, but is it good? And so that, really? yeah. So that they're, discussion, they're learning the people listening to more than one lesson, huh? I wish. No, that is not the case. Uh, compared to like, you know, the gospel coalition, which is a very, a very big uh, website and organization. Um, I don't trust them. You can't, I don't trust any coalitions. Gospel rainbow, Probably others. Those are the only two I know about with coalition in the name. Yeah. Right. I can't think of any more. Okay. But I know, I'm sure I've heard. I'm sure it's a very common thing, but, but the, um, so, and real quick, I will say that I, I recorded a video last week called the dilemma of Christian film in which I talked about like the two sides, uh, people who say these movies are great because of what they intend to do and the effect, the emotional and spiritual effect that they have on the people that see them. And then people like me who say these movies are terrible and they need to be better. So I talk about both sides and how we should probably start seeing things from one another's point of view, because that's the only way we're going to make any progress. Um, and uh, that video was met with uh, most mostly open minds and a few people that got really defensive about it. Um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, in the midst of this discussion about whether or not Christian film needs to be better, this movie Woodlawn kept getting thrown around um, that I had heard about at some point. It didn't seem like it was going to be a major player. I don't know what kind of money it's going to make. Uh, or has made, but it had been put out there as like one of the better ones. And so I decided one of the better ones. All right, I'll go see it. And it is probably the best one I've seen. Now, of course that's greatly qualified. The best Christian film. Yeah. It's better than the one you liked so much last year, which was called believe, believe me, believe me. Yeah. And I'll say this. I think I like believe me more because it's a comedy okay, and because of what it's trying to do. But I think from a filmmaking quality standpoint, I think Woodlawn is better. It still has a lot of problems. Um, script is still pretty clunky. Some of the performances aren't right. Um, and there, there are moments when it, uh, it veers into God's not dead territory and does so to the detriment of the story it's actually telling it. It almost feels like the studio said, we will pay for this. Mm-hmm. 
but you need to incorporate this thing as well, which is apparently not at all uncommon. When I had Corbin Burnson over on more than one lesson, he talked about like the movies that he has directed and the, and people and the studio Christian studios are often say, often say like, Oh my gosh, Corbin Burnson. Awesome. That's great. You can have the money as long as you incorporate these three scenes. Wow. And it's very frustrating. But anyway, so yeah, but, uh, editing and filmmaking and the music's a little bit on the nose, but, uh, editing and filmmaking. And some of those performances are really great. There are two leads. Basically it's a, it's, it's essentially remember the Titans. It's a true story. It's about uh woodlawn high school in, in Alabama in the 1970s, right? Uh, right when school busing was like a thing. Okay. Uh, sorry. In the, in the sixties. And then, uh, so it's about the first like mixed, um, mixed uh football team at woodlawn and uh the star running back uh is black and that he's one of the leads and he's played by a non-actor and i would not have believed it like not only does he do a good job but he also has a surprising amount of on uh, on on-screen charisma i think he's really good and then the coach is the other lead and he's played by a very experienced a very experienced british actor who i would not have guessed was british Hmm. um what's his name Nick Bishop. Yeah. He's got like a bunch of credits of things that I've not seen or heard of, but like TV shows and that sort of thing. So Nick, uh, with no K, I believe, um, even John Voight in a supporting role is quite good and, and underplays his part, which is, well, that's gotta be upsetting for you. You know, that's the thing. Like this whole thing, uh, subverted my expectations john voight in a christian film and i like both (laughs) um so yeah it's not a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination but i'm very encouraged and what's more is the film is also getting a lot of it's getting a lot of heat in the christian film community and so i think it's getting a lot of support by audiences and my hope is that it's almost I, when I wrote my review of more than one lesson, I believe I titled it uh, throwing down the gauntlet, because in my opinion, when you go see a movie that is as good as this, because the football, like the cinematography, the editing, like it's put together like a real film. And there are times when I found myself emotionally invested in what they were doing, which is very rare for me with a Christian film. And, uh, and the way I see it, hopefully, it's just like now that this is out there and if it does well, Christian film now has no excuse except maybe budgetary, but like it has no excuse to not be at least that good. And my hope <laughs> is that audiences will embrace at least that level of quality and then hopefully move on from there and get even better. I'm probably being a little Pollyanna ish yeah, about but it, but sometimes that's the right way to be. Yeah. Uh, lead by example uh, and all that. Sure, why not? All right, my next movie is the it's the second Carrie Mulligan movie I saw. Now, do you, this is the second year in a row this has happened to me. Okay. Last year, I was against all reason, because I'm a pretty pessimistic person. Sure. Against all reason last year, I was really looking forward to the theory of everything. Uh, because I uh, am really, it, I just like Stephen Hawking ever since I sure. ever since I saw Errol Morris's A Brief History of Time when I was probably in high school. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I, I was really hoping that was good. And I'd like the films of, uh, James Marsh, mm-hmm. um, who directed it. I was very much looking forward to the theory of everything. That's so despite odd. knowing it's an end of the year biopic. Yeah. It's going to be, it's probably going to be pretty mediocre. Yeah. For different reasons. 
I was just as much looking forward to and just as much against reason suffragette. And I saw suffragette this week. I wasn't as, I haven't seen either film and I'm probably not going to, but theory of everything to me just seemed like such an obvious, like it got C pluses across the board. And yet it's almost like the Oscars were just like, well, Hey, they want us to nominate it. So we Uh will. Sure. Sure. And we'll give it best actor. And there you go. Um, suffragette while yes one could say it's just as much oscar bait i think because by putting carrie mulligan who's not much of a star neither is eddie redmay now that i think about it but like by building building a movie around carrie mulligan i feel like is never a bad idea yeah it's not i mean at all she's great and um her chief antagonist uh, in the movie is played by brennan gleason oh awesome uh and he's always awesome so um does he find good notes to hit or is he just kind of mustache twirling? Uh, no, he, he plays it like he's, he's the head of the like police task force. That's, uh, tasked with surveilling and if possible, uh, undermining okay. the suffragette movement in okay. London. And he plays it as he's not, he's not a zealot yeah. at all. It's his job. He also thinks, it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to lose. Yeah. And so part of his whole approach is like, why are they even trying so hard? Like maybe yeah. if I can just get them like embarrass them in front of their husbands, have them spend a week, uh, locked up. If I can get them to see reason, right. They'll just stop. That's like his, yeah. his thing, which is a, a, a more insidious of, sort of villainy. I think, but uh, there's also a certain degree of sympathy there. Yeah. For, for the other side. Oh yeah. And there, there's a great scene, um, when he talks about himself growing up poor, cause Carrie Mulligan's and the other people in the movie are very like the kind of people that she's worked at the, at an industrial laundry since she was seven years old. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of, uh, life these, these women are leading and Brendan Gleeson's character grew up poor. And there's a great scene when he's talking about that you learn what, why his world, why he's the cynic that he is. And you learn about like, he, he basically says, I've seen people, like me or people like you used for fodder by, by so-called movements. Oh yeah. And, uh, that's, that's his point of view. And so there, and Carrie Mulgan's character is also kind of the, uh, you, and this is the, the, the best stuff is anything that has to do with either of them, because this is, there's something that is maybe not as fleshed out in the script, but luckily Carrie Mulgan brings it to light, which is her eventual, I guess, uh, uh, conversion over the course of the movie. Cause she's not an all in suffragette from the beginning. Yeah. She's sort of like, she's, uh, the forewoman at the, um, at the laundry, I guess working there since you're seven gets you, uh, yeah. <laughs> you get to move up a little bit. She has, she is a wife and she is a mother and she's very devoted to her son. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how she defines herself. And she sort of ends up, accidentally testifying for not accidentally like so it's uh, like a forest gump situation. it's sort of a last moment minute thing, minute thing which is testifying then it gets closer and closer and more wrapped up in yeah. the movement until she eventually comes to the realization that um like my life is just my life and what i'm what we're fighting for here is is bigger and is mm-hmm. more important than any one life and if i lose uh my family or even lose my life uh, at this point, the causes 
worth that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fan, that's fantastic. And that's a galvanizing sort of thing. The thing is the movie around her doesn't make you feel that, you know, there's, there's, you know, I, I, I it's going to, I compared it in my review to Selma. There's going to, when people talk about it, they're going to talk about Selma, uh, cause it's a recent movie that deals with similar type of subject right. matter. Selma made me feel like I want to go down there and get in these marches. I would like, yeah. I want to, I want to be a part of this. I feel like a David, call to those, action. Those marches are, yeah, I know, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. it made me want to step into the screen and, and fight and yeah. suffragette doesn't have any of that, uh, backbone. It doesn't have any of that, uh, fervor that, that Selma had. It's is it, it trying it, it, to, yeah, I think okay. that's what, I think that's what it wants to be, but okay. it's only there in Carrie Mulligan and the rest of the cast is good as well. You've got, um, Helena Bonham, Car- Helena Bonham Carter, um, in it and, uh, Ben, Ben Wishaw, and uh, I feel like I'm drawing a blank on there are there are other name people in the movie. Oh, Meryl Streep is definitely yeah. a big one. Oh, I mean she's in she, it's a cameo. She's hmm. it's like one, really... and a, one and a half scenes. Oh wow, because they they push her. Well, it's the kind of pretty hard character who the 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 character is a presence pretty much from the beginning. Hmm. Uh, and then you finally see her, you know, at a is she the point. queen or something? Uh, no, she's the sort of de facto leader of the suffrage movement. Oh, okay. Um, and I, anyway, I just felt very disappointed uh, in the movie overall. But again, like I said, with far from that in crowd, Carrie Mulligan, uh, you, I, you know, you could watch her, uh, I, I, again, I'll, I, I just always quote my reviews. Um, Carrie Mulligan and Brennan Gleason on a completely blank stage talking to one another is, would be a compelling movie. Uh, because they're two fantastic actors who know how to hold the screen. You should have them both separately read books about the women's suffrage movement and then come back and report back to each other, film that. Yeah. And now we've got a movie. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Uh, yeah, this was, uh, this was just kind of a bummer. That's too bad. Yeah. Uh, what's next? Next for me is a rewatch. Um, this chair is too loud. This one's pretty bad too. Sorry, but I just, the, it's we when we did our sound check we were wondering what is that noise we could hear a noise yeah I'm almost certain yeah it's this chair yeah we've got very embarrassing chairs sorry everybody <laughs> that's what happens when you buy your setup from Target um, and then I put everything together that's also a recipe for disaster Battleship Retention should get you some new chairs I agree okay. so that slasher commentary is still available everybody yeah, you can purchase that and that would help us out quite a bit um, okay so I rewatched for more than one lesson so you can hear an in-depth discussion of it I rewatched Roman Polanski's Rosemary's Baby um, have you seen it oh yeah okay and yeah uh, I love that movie I had seen it once before, really liked it then, and watching it again, I just love it. It's just, first off, one thing I didn't remember is that it's two hours and 15 minutes long. If had you asked me how long it is, I'd say, ah, 95 minutes probably. It flies by, yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I don't think of it as a long movie either. Yeah, and it just... And it has that standard Roman Polanski just creeping dread. Um, in the episode, uh, Josh and I talk about how it is very similar to Chinatown. It's similar in, to a lot of things that he does where somebody's completely alone, the world is against them, or is it? Spoilers, it is. It always is. <laughs> um, and so it 
so it certainly has that in common, but it certainly, it really feels like of a piece with Chinatown where you have two characters, two characters that are trying to uncut, get to the bottom of something. They, they know something's up, but they don't really know what it is. So they're trying to protect themselves while also getting to the bottom of something. And when they finally do, it is so much more horrendous than they ever even imagined. Mm. And it, it feels like that, like, you know, you're building to something and you might have a general idea of what it is. And then it turns out, well, I won't say what it is, but, uh, listener, uh, listeners, if you, it's on Netflix right now, like go and watch it. It's amazing. And one thing that I will say, I've, I've never seen Harold and Maude. So my, I don't know much about Ruth Gordon, Mm. but she won the Oscar for best supporting actress for Rosemary's baby and well-deserved. The acting is good all around. Mia Farrow is great. She probably deserved to be nominated for it, but Ruth Gordon, I, I, I can't get over how amazing she is in that because, you know, when you're dealing with what her character actually is, but then how she plays her, it's such a one. It, she's written very well, but she plays her just, as so overbearing it's like her character's intrusive now it turns out she's intrusive for very insidious reasons but by playing her as really obnoxious you're able to make you're able to make evil look merely rude and uh and oblivious and that's how she comes across and she's often funny even at the same time that she's really intimidating it's a, it's an amazing film Rewatch it if you've seen it already and watch it if you haven't. Okay. Uh, my last film that I want to talk about um, is uh, it also like suffragette uh, just comes out this week. It's called I smile back and it stars Sarah Silverman as well as uh, Josh Charles and Chris Sarandon much discussed on the uh, child's play commentary. That's true. Oh yeah, um, it's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but mostly it stars Sarah Silverman. It's, um, a, it's an okay movie that has some interesting, if cynical and depressing ideas about depression and mental illness, but it is mostly a chance to go. And if you read reviews, this seems to be the general reaction, which is like, wow, we all like Sarah Silverman, but we didn't know she could do that. Like, oh, and okay. It's, it's, an, it's an incredible performance and she carries the whole film. You know, you know, it is, um, it's all about her and she plays a suburban housewife whom we meet in the midst of a tailspin of depression and addiction to anything that, you know, from alcohol to pills, to cocaine, to sex. Uh, and we find out not new. The movie is sort of about her, uh, you know, attempts to get better. And the tension comes from us knowing that she might not, um, that she could having relapsed once she could relapse again at any, Mm -hmm. at any point. Um, the movie's pretty dour and, um, again, has a point of view about mental illness that is not hopeful. (laughs) Uh, and I find that kind of troublesome because I don't, I, 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 I want, uh, I don't want uh, movies to give people the impression that people who are mentally ill should just, I don't know, give up or Mm -hmm. succumb. (laughs) Um, there are steps that can be made, but there is also always the, you know, it's like, uh, 
um, you know, people talk about alcoholism, like people who don't drink anymore. Don't say generally don't say I'm not an alcoholic anymore. They will right. always be an alcoholic yeah, yeah. even if they don't drink. And, and, and so th- there's something to that. And there's also something to, um, that I like about the movie being about, um, well to do, uh, you know, upper middle class suburban characters because it has this sense of, uh, this is a problem that, can affect anyone like you can't there's no there's nowhere you're safe from this uh but uh, overall i think the movie is just okay it's not bad at any point um and of course i'm coming from a place people who listened to our episode a couple weeks ago about pet themes know that stories about people who are depressed and self-destructive always uh appeal to me in a way there's a i have uh, an attraction to those kind of stories and so this is definitely one of those if we had done the episode if i'd seen the movie before we did the episode i definitely would have talked about it because it's definitely in that uh in that ballpark but again mostly it's about how great sarah silverman is in this um by being maybe because because she's a funny person um, and there are a couple of funny things in the movie, um, but because she's a funny person, she's not, well, I guess some comedians when they go and play serious roles, uh, they like they're the choice they make is to completely turn off the funny. And that usually doesn't work. You're mm-hmm. like, did you ever see when Daryl Hammond was on damages? No, but I, like I had heard that he, tries so hard to be serious that he's just a walking corpse basically. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not good. But uh Sarah Zilverman here keeps the the warmth and the looseness uh and the sort of weariness of like her uh not necessarily her comedic persona, because hers is very specific, but of a comedian. Yeah. You know? Um she has this point of like she she has this feeling like she could at any point like write a bit about the stuff yeah, she's yeah. going through because she's she does have sort of that uh, a jadedness that you know in a in a that sort of defense thing of you know joking uh, or being cynical about things anyway it's a it's a performance you can't look away from it's uh it's fantastic um mm. but the movie is just okay so would you say it is worth seeing the movie to get to the performance if you are a person who is willing to see a movie just for a performance okay. uh then yeah it's also not it's not a big commitment it's an, only an 85 minute movie nice and it also like i said josh charles chris randon also terry kinney has a small role and he's great um oh yeah from oz yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. McManus. Is that right? Is that his name? I can't remember. Uh, but he plays a therapist. He's very good. Uh, that's it for movies for both of us. You wanted to talk about, I'm guessing South park. Uh, oddly enough. No. So I've got three TV shows to talk about. Uh, one of the, okay. So I have decided to delve headlong into the X files. Uh, it's all available on Netflix and it's a thing that I can have on while I'm working it has uh, distracted me from my work on more than I'm going to say 20 occasions. <laughs> um, but uh, so I'm about 12 or 13 episodes into the first season. And I think I'm committed to just going ahead and watching the whole thing. Uh, here's my problem though. How much of the X-Files have you seen? Uh, three episodes. Okay. Some people love it. And here's, here's I my have no problem with it. I just have not. I know that here's the thing. 
it's like nine seasons, right? Yeah. And I know that if I start like you, I'm going to want to finish. And I just, just got too much on my plate. I've seen that Peter Boyle one a number of times because it's so great. I guess I, I haven't seen it. So okay. something to look forward to. Yeah. Here's my issue. And I have a feeling it's going to remain an issue. I, I don't give a shit about aliens. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's going to be a problem, I think. Like that's the, that's the big thing about the show. Uh, is the truth is out there and, uh, it's probably aliens is the truth. Uh, well, you're only a few episodes in, you don't know. I don't know, but I get the feeling and just because they, they also just look at various paranormal things or just odd Mothman cases. Uh, Mothman. Uh, Nessies. Yeah. Big feet. Yeah. Chupas Cabra. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but like they look, there's one about like the Jersey devil, which I didn't know is an actual thing. Um, that like, I've, there's this, I don't know what it is, but I've heard of it. It's like a Bigfoot type thing. That's in the, in the, like the pine barrens of New oh. Jersey. And so Wait, they did is it just that Russian guy. From yeah. Spanos? He's still wandering around out there. <laughs> With a chunk of his head missing. He's gotten a little bit feral. And so, um, <laughs> So just stuff like that, I'm much more interested in. And I, and, but at the same time, I recognize that they need a through line and the through line is government cover up of everything. And specifically us encountering, you know, extraterrestrial life, but there's just something about it. I don't know why, you know, when it's a predator, I'm okay. When it's the movie alien, I'm okay. When it's a, when it's ET, I'm okay. But somehow and just like, oh, they uh, came here because they're curious and they abducted. I don't care at all, <laughs> at all. Like I've really tried to care. Uh, anytime that, but anytime there's an episode where it's clear, oh, this is a UFO episode. Shit. Uh, See, I'm the opposite. I love alien stuff. I love the idea that, that, they, that they've been here. Uh, I yeah. I can't make myself care. It's weird. It's not often that I am this apathetic about something. And I find myself wondering, like, maybe this isn't the show for me, but now I'm committed and I want to watch all of it. Because yeah. I also know that along with those, there will be the occasional one-off episode that's really interesting. Um, now, this is going to sound like I'm joking, but I'm not. Okay. This is going to bite you when you catch up with Fargo Season 2. <laughs> which actually does have a UFO <laughs> subplot. <laughs> well, so does man who wasn't there. You know, it doesn't right, keep yeah. me from in, in, enjoying something, but there's just like, they focus so much on it. And I think there's also just like maybe the tone of the show and how it approaches it. I think because the level of cynicism, it's, it's a weird, the show's a weird mixture of cynicism and idealism. Um, and I think that level of cynicism is something that I already have and has been present in film for a while now. And so to go back and it's just like, Oh my gosh, they're dealing with aliens. Just like, we've seen this. We've seen it so many times since then at the very least, okay. um, that maybe the, the, the earnestness with which it is approaching that particular storyline over and over again, uh, is something that I just don't have any use for. But, um, but who knows? Maybe it'll win me over. I feel like I it, it won't. Will. I think it will. Okay. You said you had three things. What's next? Oh, um, next is South park. You've got to watch this season, All David. Right. I'm telling you it. They're doing All great right. things. I'll go home and do it right now. 
don't you do it. <laughs> um, and then the last one is, uh, clearly, uh, the X-Files put me in a specific mood. And so I went to Hulu and I watched uh, an episode of the outer limits, the, the new one, the newer one from, right. the, from the nineties. There was an episode that I always remembered had William Hickey in it. Um, as a guy who's like 102 and is a billionaire and is just constantly running from death, although he's not actually running, it's just he has paid off an, essentially an entire hospital to keep him alive all the time, to bump him to the top of all donor lists. And in a kind of final destination way, like death wants this guy and keeps finding ways to try to get him. And uh, so it's a really interesting it's a really interesting cool. uh, movie, and I remember. Uh, sorry, it's a really interesting show, and I remembered that from twenty years ago, seeing it on TV, and being and feeling the urge to see it again. It's like I'm sure it's available somewhere. It turns out the entire uh, Outer Limits TV show in the '90s is available on Hulu. So, um, so I think I'm maybe I'll just go with that instead. <laughs> you know, where if there's an alien thing, it'll only be one episode, maybe a two parter. Um, I don't know. Uh, all right. Um, I have one TV thing. I mean, I've, I've, saw, I've seen more stuff, but I, the only thing I have to talk about, and I have to talk about it to you because you haven't. Why, I know you haven't caught up yet. The Amazing Race. Okay, yeah. This past week aired something that is. Uh, it, it's got among the best episodes in the history of the Amazing Race. Is it like a whole episode, or is it just a, a specific moment? It's it's the whole episode. Okay. Um, because it's it's an edge of your seat episode because you've got. A team forming, it's like a strategy episode. We've got a team, I don't want to give away what happens. Basically, they're forming a strategy. Okay. With all the other teams against the one team they want out. Okay. And the other, the one team they want out doesn't, they're gloating because they think the strategy is going to fall apart because mm-hmm. there's a part of it they don't know that's happened behind their backs. So that's okay. the edge of your seat thing. But then halfway through the episode, essentially the opposite thing happens where for things they couldn't have race related things, they couldn't have foreseen the strategy does completely fall apart. And you see these people who have invested so much, uh, like it completely, uh, come to nothing over the course of the episode. It's, it's high drama. And it was, the team that they the most, want out the most tense episode the team that they want out did you want them, do you want them out too i th- i think i do okay the guy I, I i can't wait to talk to you about this guy once you finally watch the okay. show because there's a guy who is divisive uh who okay. is on the show he's a super fan okay and um, that can that in uh, i've learned from survivor that can go either way that in and of itself is not the problem. In fact, when it's just him and his fiance, mm-hmm. they're a very, they, they, I actually find them quite charming. Okay. This guy does not understand how to be around other people. He's so obnoxious that I don't like even some of the teams that like the main team that wants him out, like they're kind of jerks too, to be honest. Yeah. But this guy's so obnoxious that I can't blame them. Like he, Ugh. there was one, there was one, there was one challenge. It's, I've been watching almost since the beginning and I still forget which one's a detour and which one's a roadblock, but the one that only one person can do, I think that's a roadblock. No, that might be a detour. I honestly don't know. I think it's a detour, but yeah. So it was a dancing challenge, right? Where they had to learn a dance and do uh, like a, do a tango. The Argentina had to do a tango. Right. And so this guy, his fiance did it. So he's in the seats watching, you know, 
And then there's this other team who's two guys. Um, so one of the guys is doing the dance. Right. He's in the seats. And so this guy, the super fan, is watching the, uh, sitting next to the one guy, watching the other guy try to do it, and just says to this guy, he's like, I'm pretty sure I could have done that better than him. <laughs> and he's like that all the time. He just doesn't, I don't think he even gets that it's obnoxious. It's not, I don't think it's a strategy of trying to get inside their head or anything. I think he's just a guy who does not think about what he says at all. And it doesn't occur to him that that's rude and obnoxious. Okay. Let me ask you this. And, and I apologize to anybody that might like have this condition. Uh, so he's like a super fan. He's like really passionate about the show but he can't really relate to people like it might there be something vaguely wrong with him, like that, having Asperger's actually, or something. Uh, that's actually what Paul would go. Okay. Suggested that he, uh, go use the term spectrum that he might sure. be somewhere on the, on the spectrum. Okay. Uh, that's, it's possible. He, I mean, it's not, something and I don't that mean I that insulting at all. No, it's I, just, you know, yeah, uh, it definitely is possible. Uh, all right. So that's what we watched. Bye. Bye.